It's great to connect with you today. Uh, I hope you were blessed by our worship. And if you're joining us for the first time, this is awesome. So glad to have you uh, connect with us. Uh, This is the third week of a series that I have uh, entitled Greater Things because I believe that God wants to do greater things in your life and my life in the midst of this pandemic. And he wants to do greater things through our lives. Now, we're working through the book of Acts, and we spent a little time in the early chapters of Acts, which was also written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And now we're in chapter 2. So, let's pray. Lord, you know the person that's listening on the other side of the camera. You know what that need is. You know what my need is. So, would you just move supernaturally and be God in the details and make this transformational for both of us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to read a passage out of chapter 2 of Acts, uh, verses 36 through 38. Peter is the person who's talking. Uh, He is the first, in a sense, pastor of the first church community, which is there, uh, that emerges there in chapter 2 in Acts. Here's what Peter says. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then, here it is, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there ends the reading. Here in the Bay Area, this is the 40th day, 48th day that we're sheltered in place. And so I can just confirm with you that the fatigue and the high anxiety is just really off the charts. I was just talking to a member of our church community the other day. and He told me about his adult daughter who's trying to raise an eight-year-old as a single mom and work from home at the same time. And it's horrendous. She's pulling her hair out. More days crying than not, I would assume from that conversation. It's tough times. And so I'm sure that you can relate. You're in your own way going through these tough times. And I just want you to hear God say through me that God wants to help you. And part of the point of this series is for you to hear God say, look, uh, I don't want to leave you powerless. Uh, If you would ask and, and, and ask repeatedly, enough to get your heart opened, I will fill your life with greater, with a greater outpouring of my presence, a greater outpouring of my power, a greater outpouring of my radical capacity to love and know that you are loved. I have greater for you in these difficult times. Well, that's what's going on here in the early chapters of Acts. These early Jesus followers uh, hunkered down in a house somewhere and they started asking Jesus for greater, for greater because he had promised to them just before he ascended back to heaven that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost come and you'll be my witness. And so they were asking for it. And so Acts 2 opens up this dramatic experience. The Holy Spirit comes, right? And totally radically fills their life, empowers them. They start praising God in other tongues, other languages. And it was so loud, it was so powerful that thousands of people who had gathered from different parts of the world to celebrate the Jewish uh, 
uh, uh, event called Pentecost, heard all this commotion, and Peter had to come out and explain what was going on. So Peter comes out, and it's really his first message, and really what he says is this. He says, look, guys, there's three things happening. Number one, uh, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that we read in the book of Joel years ago that Joel said, look, uh, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. He says, this is happening. He says, number two, uh, you know, the Jesus person that uh, some of you guys cheered on his crucifixion, where it turns out he really is the son of God. And guess what? God has raised him from the dead and has made him uh, both Lord and Messiah. And we are witnesses to this. We've experienced, we know, we've, we know this to be true. We, we've hung out with him on the other side of his resurrection. And oh, number three, the outpouring of this remarkable spirit that's, that's creating all of this supernatural work around you. Well, really, it's initiated by this Jesus and it's his, his uh, it's proof that he's alive and it's also a wonderful invitation to, to, for you to come into his, to receive his radical love so that he can do some great things in and through your life. And when the people hear this, a number of them, uh, according to verse 37, uh, they, you know, the Holy Spirit is already at work. They, they, they realize, wow, we're on the wrong side of this equation. And they say, what, what can we do? What should we do? Now, let me stop and make two really quick points here. Point number one. One thing that I can assure you that happens in the midst of tough times, any deficits that you have, any broken pieces in your life will be exposed. For example, if prior to this pandemic you had poor coping skills and you always turned to alcohol and drugs or you overate or you overworked as poor coping skills, <laughs> I bet you're doing it now to the, in, in spades, right? Exponentially. If if you had poor communication skills prior to this pandemic and prior to being sheltered in place, I mean, if you would shut down rather than talk through stuff, if you're, if, you were all, if you're the person who always talking and your teenager can never share with you how she or he is feeling or what they're thinking because you think you always know it all, right? If you're cussing people out and calling them names and you're being abusive with your language or you feel like you got to hit a wall or hit a person because that's the ultimate form, ex- expression of your weakness, if that's what you did before the pandemic, that's happening exponentially now. Because tough periods expose the broken areas in your life. Now, here's the second thing that I know about God in the midst of tough times. If you allow God, God will take tough times and use them to make you a better person. But he needs your cooperation. That's why he says, look, what I want you to do is ask for something greater. Ask for a greater outpouring of my power, my spirit. Come on, my revelation in your life, my radical love, both in to flow into your life and through your life. And, and in the midst of this pandemic, I'll help you to grow, not just go, but grow through this pandemic. You grow into a better person. Do you want that? Rather than ignoring or denying the broken pieces that's now causing all kinds of pain, perhaps around your job or perhaps in your life, God is saying to you through this message, face them and join with him in growing through them. How does that happen? Well, that's what these folk are asking here in the text. They're like, what do we do? 
Peter says, well, repent. Repent of your sins, the things that you've done wrong, and uh, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, here's the deal. I want you to circle this word. Can you, uh, the, the, the word is repentance. And let me give you the definition for repentance. Biblically speaking, when you and I, when we repent, we're doing three things. We're owning our stuff out loud. We are acknowledging and apologizing for how our stuff has brought pain to somebody else's life. And we're saying, look, we want to choose a different pattern of behavior. And we're going to need some grace and accountability to make that shift. That's what repentance looks like. And what God is saying is if you practice that form of repentance, check me out, God will help you to grow through your broken pieces in the midst of a pandemic. Now, I know that for some of us, repentance feels negative. Just bear with me. I'm not... I don't want to use repentance to beat you down. I want to use this teaching around repentance to help you to step up to the very next level that God is calling you to step up. I was asking God, is there another word that I can use to help people to be a little bit more accessible to this word repentance? And the word dropped in my spirit, restoration. So whenever we think repentance, I want you to think restoration. Repentance opens the way for restoration. Now, I can hear you asking, restoration of what? Great question. There are thousands of people outside of Peter and the apostles' house where they are hearing all of this. They come from all these different places, right? Lots of different groups. Here's what I can assure you. We have all these different groups together. And of course, if you read a little further, you'll see thousands of people are there from all these different places. There are tons of folk in there who don't like each other. Tons of groups there that disagree with each other. They're hostile towards one another. As a matter of fact, among that crowd, I'm sure there were people who were hanging out in another crowd a couple of months earlier crying out about Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, because they had been convinced he was blasphemous and he was a heretic and they were cheering on his crucifixion. They're in that crowd. And, and, and I suspect they didn't just want to see Jesus wiped out, they wanted to see Peter and the other apostles wiped out. So these folk in, the, in, the, in, in this crowd, there's, there's a lot of folk who don't like each other in this crowd, who disagree. Now, let me show you the power of repentance. I want you to draw a straight line from verse 38 all the way to verse 46. Now, here's what it says in verse 46 on the other side of this whole notion of practicing owning your stuff. Listen, acknowledging where your stuff has hurt others and saying, look, I want to ch- shift. I want to change my pattern of behavior. Look what happens. In verse 46, here's what it says. It says, they. Who's they? The folk who was once hostile towards one another, they are now standing together, worshiping in the temple each day. And they, the people who used to didn't get along, didn't like each other, was, uh, were enemies. Now, they would meet in each other's homes around the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity with each other. And all the while, they did so praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people Former enemies become new friends. People who used to be hostile towards one another suddenly are sitting around each other's kitchen table sharing food together. Can you feel the intimacy? Intimacy. See, repentance, when done correctly, opens the way for the restoration of intimacy. Could you use a little bit more intimacy 
where you're sheltered in at? Are you experiencing some hostility? Does it feel like your spouse or your teenager is an enemy? Are the broken pieces of your life making it difficult and painful for, for folk you work with at your job? Could, could you use a little more intimacy? Let me define intimacy. When you read those two verses that I've just read, how they're worshiping together at the temple, how they are meeting in their homes around the Lord's Supper, celebrating the crucifixion and what it means uh, in terms of the death of Jesus leading to his resurrection, how they're inviting one another into their homes and breaking bread around the kitchen table. What you, what you, what you get is a sense of warmth. You get a sense of affection. They like being around each other. You get a sense of togetherness. Folk who were formerly enemies, hostile towards one another, didn't like one another, didn't know each other. Now they're sitting around the table eating bread, sharing stories, learning to respect each other. Intimacy. You know, I've been married for almost 34 years, and I can tell you, this works. In the first four years of my marriage, because of my own insecurities, uh, it was hard for me to own my stuff, to acknowledge how my behavior had caused pain in my wife's life or in other people's life and therefore position myself for change. And as a result of that, we just got into all kinds of fight in the first five, ten years. And it was primarily because, and Rhonda has her side of the story, it was primarily from my perspective, was my inability to own my stuff, to acknowledge where I'm causing pain and to say, look, what I need to do to change. The moment I made that shift in my life, guys, the moment intimacy began to happen. But more than that, well, check it out. I started to grow because I own my stuff. And I said, I'm causing pain. Check it out. What do I need to do to change? I'm going to need a little grace. I'm going to need some accountability. And I started working with my wife. My wife saw that I'm really making some strides here. Come on, not overnight, but over time, I became a better person. I grew through that tough time. And I experienced the grace that came through my wife, the radical love that came through my wife. And now, almost 34 years, guys, we've been married. And I'm going to tell you, if you hang out with us, you'll immediately figure out that we like being around each other. There's a warmth, there's a togetherness, there's a, there's a, there's a real affection. Not that we, we can, we don't always agree, we can still have an argument here or there, but we both know how to repent. We know how to own our stuff. Acknowledge where we've caused pain. Do you know how to do that? Is this something you're practicing on a regular basis? I want to offer to you this repentance. It's a tool that God wants to use to help make your life greater. Now, there's two contexts in which this happens as I rush towards the end. First of all, I want you to understand that God makes it safe for us to practice and experience repentance and the restoration of intimacy with God through grace. Let me tell you a story. Oh, well, first of all, notice in the text, in verse 38, notice Peter says, uh, in verse uh, 38, he says, uh, I want you to repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Watch it for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, why in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? That's the question. Especially if you were rooting that he would be crucified. Peter's hinting at the greater work of atonement that Jesus did on the cross. Now, when I was a kid, if you've been following me for a while, you know I was raised with my grand-aunt and uncle. But my grandmother also had a big part in raising me as well. One occasion I was at her house and uh, she'd made a wonderful coconut cake. 
And she put it top over and said, don't mess with it until I get ready to cut it. She left the room and I waited for the right time and I sneaked in there, pulled the top off. I knew I couldn't cut it, but there was a lot of overflow on that cake. So I just took my finger and just went round and round and round. It was awesome. Of course, I put the top back on. I don't assume anybody would know. About an hour later, I hear, Herbert! What? Why are your fingerprints all over this cake? Did you do this? Now, let me just cut to the chase. I knew that if I acknowledged that I was going to do it, she's going to probably spank me. And by the way, I'm not advocating whether you ought to spank or not. I'm just telling you about my story, what happened, right? And so uh, I didn't feel like it was safe. So she's like, did you do this? I'm like, what? <laughs> the cake. Oh, you have a cake in the kitchen? Are you really? <laughs> and of course, the rest is history, right? That's what keeps a lot of us away from God. What I should have did as a kid was own my stuff. Oh, yeah, I really did it. Say, oh, man, I know it hurt you because, you know, you had that say for a certain time. I'm sorry. Just own my stuff. But I was afraid of being punished. So rather than owning my stuff, I got in worse trouble. That's how a lot of us are, both with God and with people in our lives. We're afraid of being punished. So first of all, we don't own our stuff with God because we think God's going to punish us. But listen, here's what Isaiah says about Jesus' crucifixion. He says, look, the reason why he was crucified, he was wounded for our, that's your, transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. That's your sins. He, the chastisement, that's a word that means punishment. The punishment that, was, that should have been on us was laid upon him. So here's the point. When Jesus says, come to me and own your stuff, right? Uh, acknowledge how your stuff has hurt other people and let's begin to work together to change. Uh, this, is not a, this is not God waiting to punish you in Jesus. No, this is God in Jesus waiting to restore you. It's the first step of growth is to be able to acknowledge your stuff. See where it's caused pain. Make a decision go different. And Jesus says, I'll give you the grace plus the accountability. Let's, let's, let's work on this, right? Now, sometimes it's not about Jesus forgiving you. It's about you receiving forgiveness. It's hard for you. My brother-in-law shares a story. It's a powerful story. He said he went over to see uh, our late uncle, the Bishop W.W. W. Hamilton, major bishop in the Church of God in Christ. And Robert, who's a pastor in San Francisco, I call him Rob, said there was a priceless vase sitting on the edge of the table. And Robert accidentally knocked it over and it shattered. Robert was horrified. Now, here's what Robert didn't, here's what Robert didn't do. He didn't say, oh my God, somebody put the vase in the wrong place and caused me to, to knock it over. In other words, deflect, blame. Now, Rob just assumed his responsibility. He said, my God, I can't believe I did this. On this stuff. He says, oh my gosh, this must have been priceless. I'm so sorry. I know this is painful for you to have this shattered. And, and, and he's trying to position him. He says, like, I, I don't know. Tell me how I can make this up. And of course, he can't make it up because it's a priceless face. And the bishop looks at him, his uncle, and he says, Rob, don't worry about it. It's all good. Uh, Bishop was in, moving towards the end of his life and at this point material stuff had very little value what was the most important thing to him was relationships was having an intimate relationship 
a close relationship with his favorite nephew. Rob says, even though the bishop had forgiven him, he couldn't receive it. He was like still going on and on. He was feeling so horrible. He said, so the bishop having to step forward and basically commanded and said, look, Rob, I'm, I'm demanding of you, accept my forgiveness and let it go. Rob tells the story later. He says, look, had the bishop not done, had the bishop not in a sense commanded, Rob would have said weeks, months later, there intimate relationship, their close, warm, togetherness relationship would have been impacted. Not because the bishop was holding against him and you broke the vase, but because Robert could not receive the forgiveness that the bishop was offering. And, and the shame and the guilt that Rob would have felt would have broken the intimacy in that relationship. So when it comes to God, listen, he's inviting you own your stuff, see where it's hurtful, position yourself to change. He's not coming back at you with punishment. He's coming back at you with restoration. He's saying, really, I'm commanding you, accept the forgiveness so you can get free of the shame and the guilt. We can figure this thing out together. I want to do something greater in your life. All right, here's the second and last piece. Uh, the second thing is... You and I have to make repentance and the restoration of intimacy. Uh, we have to make it safe for others to experience that in our presence. All right. Peter is the guy who is kind of the lead pastor here. And it's Peter who says, uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, notice the word baptism. When you're baptized in a church context, what it simply means is uh, it's a public display that you have become a part of, of the body of Christ. You're part of the church community and you're, you, you, have, you, have, you now belong to Jesus and uh, his claim is on your life. It's about entering a community. You might would say to Peter, Peter, why would you be so open and welcoming of people who've done the unthinkable, especially those who would have loved to have seen you wiped out just right along with Jesus. And Peter's response would be, because, you know, I'm humbled by the fact that I've done the unthinkable. And I'm happy to extend restoration to them upon their repentance because I've had to repent and receive restoration myself. See, the day before Jesus was crucified, uh, Jesus told the disciples, you guys going to all scatter and leave me when I most need you. Peter says, not me. I'm your ride and die. I'm going to be right with you all the way. Jesus looks at him and says, no, P. Listen, here's what's going to happen. Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter does the unthinkable out of fear. Post-resurrection, Peter encounters Jesus and Peter owns his stuff. He sees the, the whole impact of his pain. And, and, and you know what he gets back from Jesus? Forgiveness. Restoration. An intimate relationship. So Peter says, that's what I practice for these people because, you see, I've done this unthinkable and it keeps me humble. You see, I have to keep practicing repentance. 
run ahead to chapter 10. Check it out. He's going to practice repentance again because he's going to think that only Jews can be saved. And, 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 and Jesus is going to show him through a vision. No, his salvation is for Gentiles, non-Jews, and everybody. And Peter's going to have to repent again. And so, so Peter is well grounded in his need for grace and forgiveness. And it keeps him from feeling superior when it comes to other people asking Peter for forgiveness as they repent and they look for restoration of intimacy. All right, now let me just drop this into your house. Could it be that you're the spouse of the significant other who the other person comes to you, he or she, and and they try to repent. They try to say, you know what? I'm messing up. They're owning their stuff. They're saying, I see where I've, I've, I've kind of gone wrong here and it caused you some pain. But they would do it but they don't do it because they know that you're going to hold it over their heads because you have convinced yourself that they're, you know, they're sinners, they're broken, and, and you, you're superior to them. In other words, you never hurt people. Same grace they need, you need. And maybe you don't hurt in that way, you've hurt in other ways. Remember, here's the lesson. If I practice repentance, it grounds me in humility so that I can accept, facilitate repentance. And repentance, here's the deal, it makes it possible for restoration of real intimacy. Would you hold your hand out and pray with me? If you will, just participate in this prayer. Lord God, I believe you're talking to all of us because you're saying, as tough as this pandemic is, you're calling us to grow through it, to get better. And part of that, we have to practice the power and the gift of repentance, which always makes it possible for the restoration of intimacy. Would you help each of us to take that lesson to the next level? starting now in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let me challenge you to take a next step. There's a connection card attached to the website. If you go to our app, there's a connection card there. And in the app, on the, on the Sunday page, there's this deal called Next Steps. I want you to think about your next steps. You know, the thing that I'm trying to make most powerfully clear to you is that in Jesus Christ, you're going to find a God that doesn't want to punish you, but wants to restore you and elevate you and bring something great into your life. And this is the opportunity for you to say, I want to surrender my life to that one, that one who died and conquered death for me. So you may just want to check that on the next step card and say, look, I want to do that. And I challenge you to do that. Make this moment that moment. There are a few other steps that you can take there, and uh, you should consider those. But under the response to the message, uh, if you are, I want to challenge you to join me this week. I'm going to be doing something this week. I want to pay special attention, both at work and at home. Where are there areas that I could do a better job owning my stuff? That I can do a better job? Uh, acknowledging how a word or a deed has caused some kind of pain, where I can do a better job of saying, I want to shift my behavior. Where can I keep growing in my life? And if you're going to join me in that, would you just check yes on the response to the message? And uh, 
I'll see you next week because God wants to do greater in your life. I hope you were really blessed by our time of worship and teaching today. I hope you found it relevant and meaningful. I've got two reflection questions on the screen. Take out your phone, take a picture of them. The first has to do with how well do you do with this owning your stuff and this whole stuff around repentance. And then secondly, what does intimacy look like in the relationships that are closest to you? Now, if you've got some folk that you can process this with, great. If you just want to write about it in your own journal, wonderful. But I'm challenging you to process these two questions. And lastly, uh, if you are in an abusive situation, listen up now, or you know somebody that's in an abusive situation, there's a number on the screen right now. Take a picture of it. I want you to text that number. There's somebody there waiting to help you. I'll see you next week.